Hello, and welcome to the Crossroads Podcast, the show where Mark Meckler and Rita Peters discuss hot-button issues from a biblical perspective, helping to equip other Christians to bring light to a darkened culture. Rita is the Senior Vice President of Legislative Affairs, and Mark serves as the CEO and co-founder for Convention of States Action. Find out more by visiting conventionofstates.com slash pod. Hello, friends, and welcome to another edition of Crossroads, where faith and culture meet. I am your host, Rita Peters, and I am so happy to have my co-host, Mark Meckler, finally back with us today. Mark, welcome back. What's been going on with you? Oh, I'm glad to be back. I've been traveling a lot all over the country, everywhere from the East Coast to Hawaii to I spent the election night in Nashville, Tennessee. So I've been a little bit of everywhere. It's good to be home. Yeah, you don't stay in one place for too long. And that's a good thing for the country who gets to benefit from you. So thank you for what you've been doing. And for our listeners today, if you're a regular listener of the Crossroads program, you know that we have been doing a series on the book Servant Leadership by David Cooner. I love the book, Mark. I know you love it too. And we've gone all the way through nine chapters. We've had a few different guests who are experts on the material, and they've walked us through each chapter. And we have one more program to do on servant leadership, and that's going to be sort of the wrap-up and summary. And Mark and I are going to talk about you know, how, how servant leadership and its principles have transformed us and affected us and just share some stories from that. But we're not going to do that today because this week <laughs> was a big week in America. Um, it was election week, and this was a big, important midterm election. So we're going to interrupt servant leadership um, this weekend to bring you this special edition of Crossroads on the 2022 midterm election. So, um, Mark, I want to set the stage a little bit. You spent election night at the Daily Wire in Nashville, Tennessee. Tell for, for listeners who aren't familiar, tell us what the Daily Wire is and then tell us what that night was like for you and why you were there. Sure. So the Daily Wire, I would argue, is the point of the spear in the culture war in America. Uh, it was founded by Ben Shapiro and Jeremy Boring, I think about nine years ago. Uh, it's really where young conservatives congregate to learn about politics and culture. And I think it's a very healthy part of our culture. These guys have a growing enterprise. I mean, they've grown from literally nothing from a single podcast, which was Ben Shapiro's podcast nine years ago or something like that, to now having a stable of podcasters. Uh, they have some of the leading podcasts in the country. They literally have millions of subscribers and and listeners and viewers. They now have a news service. And, you know, one of the things I'm I'm proudest of that they're doing is they are the bleeding edge in the culture war around transgender ideology. Matt Walsh is one of their hosts, and I appeared at his rally to end childhood mutilation in Tennessee. I'm happy to say, Rita, I don't know if you saw this, yesterday they filed uh, House Bill 1, Uh, more broadly called Bill 1, to ban transgender treatments for anybody under 18 years old. That was filed in Tennessee. That's because of the Daily Wire. So I love these guys. I think they're doing really important work. I went there to be there just on the the night of the election. They're covering that election. I wanted to be with all their personalities, be with the people there covering the news. 
And it was interesting, you know, it started off a lot more positive than it ended. Uh, people were pretty excited. A lot of people obviously predicting some huge red wave. I, I was one of them predicting maybe even a tsunami of red. Uh, by the end of the evening, it was pretty subdued. And uh, it was a good experience being there. I actually have to say the coverage was okay there. I think Fox does a better job of covering and Newsmax does a better job of covering elections. I'm hoping to see Daily Wire step that up in 2024. Yeah, well, we all have to start somewhere. And <laughs> it was an interesting night for yours truly as well, because it was the first ever election night coverage by Convention of States. And of course, I co-host um, COS Live with Andrew Lush, another one of our staff members. So Andrew and I, with you know the indispensable help of our producer, G, Garrett Humbertson, also a Virginian, um, we did election night coverage, but we were really focused on the state legislative races because, of course, in our aim to trigger the first ever Article 5 Convention of the States is the state legislatures that are important for that. Yep. So we watch the state legislative races. So Mark, I wonder if partially for my own benefit, because I'm still focused on watching the state legislative races, there are so many of those races that haven't been decided yet, get us up to speed on the important results nationally. Yeah, I think, you know, I want to sort of set the stage. People were predicting uh, a red tsunami, a red wave, whatever you want to call it, and that did not come to pass. And so there's a lot of blame to go around, I think. I think there'll be a postmortem that's done. Uh, I think Trump bears some of the blame, certainly the party leadership. I would say McCarthy in the House of Representatives. Uh, you got to blame McConnell in the Senate. Uh, the NRSC, National Republican Study Committee, or sorry, Senatorial Committee, those are the guys that run a bunch of Senate campaigns or help the Senate campaigns. Uh, you got the the Republican uh, Congressional Committee, which runs the House campaigns. There's going to be a lot of blame to go around, and there has to be a postmortem. One thing that I would say, Rita, that I think is important is you get people predicting what's going to happen in, in the elections, and I made my own predictions, and the truth is we never know, right? That's called right. predicting the future, and human beings can't do that. So we make guesses about the future. And then I think we, a lot of people make a mistake, which is immediately after something happens that wasn't what they predicted, in this case, the outcome of the elections, everybody pretends that they know, they understand why, like what happened. And I'm hearing very few people say what I will tell you right now, which is, I have no idea why. And it's complicated. Look, you've got a national level, you've got a state level, you've got a local level, you've got particular personalities in individual elections, you've got different election laws in every state, different turnout levels in every state, different issues in every state. Uh, you have the issues, a variety of issues from abortion to inflation. All of those things have to be factored into any kind of a why. And the idea that you can peg one thing or the idea that you can know the day after what happened and why, I just think that's a fool's errand. And so from my perspective, my answer is, I don't really know why it happened. I know it happened, uh, and I know it's not as good as people hoped. And people have good cause to be frustrated and upset about this. However, and this is my huge however caveat, today is a better day in the United States of America than it was the day before the election. And the reason that I say that is because 
we now have a chance for a Congress, uh, which is going to be run maybe by a slimmer margin than people wanted, by people who are going to slow down the agenda of the party that was in power. And you don't have a rubber stamp for spending and you don't have a rubber stamp for the FBI to stomp on our throats and you don't have a rubber stamp for 87,000 new IRS agents. And we actually have hope that a bunch of that stuff will be stopped. And so I want to encourage people who might otherwise be frustrated or angry or upset by the results of the election to ask yourself the question, are we better off in America the day after the election or the day before? And I think it's really clear we're better off the day after. And politically speaking, Rita, that's what we should hope for in every election. Not yeah. that we win everything, but that the results are better the day after than they were the day before. Sure. Well, I want to back up just a, a step, Mark. And I want to know why why did people think that there was going to be a red wave? It, I mean, I assume it's something to do with backlash against President Biden. What, what do you think were the big um, policies factors or, you know, what is it that President Biden has done that caused people to predict this red wave? Or was it just more of a function of, well, this is what usually happens in, in the midterm in this situation? Well, I think the usually happens is a little bit of it. But then if you looked at all the polling, and I'm not even talking about the polling on the races, because that, that's a whole other thing we have to talk about eventually. But I'm talking about issue polling. Convention of States polls the issues week in and week out. And what we saw is people were frustrated with Biden and with Congress and their policies. They're frustrated with inflation. They're frustrated with grocery prices. They're frustrated with supply chain issues. They were frustrated over transgender ideology. I mean, this is an interesting one that the vast majority of the American people are opposed to radical transgender ideology. The vast uh, majority of American people are opposed to the critical race theory stuff being imposed on our kids in schools. And so what you see is on a whole host of individual issues that the president was underwater, that Democrats were underwater. If you looked at who do you trust more to handle these things, Republicans were far on top and all the who do you trust to handle. And so I don't think it was illogical to think that the Republicans were going to have a heck of a night. Yeah. Sure. So I, I have to tell you, as I was watching the state legislative races and hearing, you know, news about the um, national elections at the same time, I I had some disappointments. I mean, there were a lot of state legislative chambers that we thought might flip control to you know, Republicans who are generally more um, supportive of convention of states because it's, you know, about limiting federal power and, you know, more local power, state control of things. Um, the thing that came to my mind, and I have no idea whether this actually was a factor or not, but the thing that came to my mind was the Dobbs decision. I know that a lot of people on the left are you know, mad to the point of being crazed about the Dobbs decision and Roe versus Wade being overturned. Do you think that that may have played a factor in what we saw happen on Tuesday night? I mean, it was definitely a factor. And this is what I mean when I say I don't really know. Certainly, there was a certain portion of the electorate that was motivated by the Dobbs decision uh, certainly that's true in the bluer states or maybe even some of the swing states. 
And you heard voters on exit polling saying that's why they were out voting. So I think that motivated a certain portion of the population, but I don't think that's the defining reason in the races. I, and again, I don't think we're going to find a defining reason. Mm -hmm. Sure. Um, can you tell us a little bit about what what happened in in the governor's races that were important? Can you talk about that a little? Yeah, I mean, I think one of the more important governor's races in the country is still undecided, and that's in Arizona. Uh, that's mm -hmm. Carrie Lake, who I would argue was one of the very best candidates in the United States of America. I mean, just incredibly articulate. Uh, she has years and years, 23 years of experience in the media handling the media. So she was the best media candidate. Uh, and she seemed to have a command of the issues, very attractive. I mean, she was a great candidate. And I did not expect that race to be neck and neck. I mean, with all due respect, Katie Hobbs seems like somebody who's not qualified to lead the PTA, uh, let alone leading the state of Arizona. So that one's been disappointing. We'll see what happens. I think based on the precincts yet to come in, I, I don't know what it is with Arizona. I think they're counting their votes by chiseling them into stone tablets or something. I don't, I don't understand why they're so bad in Arizona at this. Hopefully Katie Hobbs becomes governor. I'm sorry, uh, Carrie Lake becomes governor and they get this fixed. I think she's going to win that race. Uh, I'm really disappointed about what happened in Michigan. I think Tudor Dixon ran an excellent race. I think she was a great candidate. And the idea that the what I would describe as the wicked witch of Michigan got reelected the woman who was responsible for some of the worst lockdowns in the country, the destruction of the mission, Michigan economy has been reelected as governor. There is just astounding. And yeah. that's coupled with something else that really disappointed. I know you and I both, which is the Michigan legislature went blue. Yeah. And, yeah. and what that means for the country, by the way, is from my perspective, Michigan might be blue forever at this point. They passed mm -hmm. a ballot uh, proposition, which ensconced, every bad voting practice in their constitution. So they're going to have universal mail-in balloting. They're going to have drop boxes. They're going to have early voting. Everything that leads to voter fraud and, you know, that intentionally sets us up for voter fraud won there. And they're going to make it even worse in the legislature uh, come January. So that was a really bad loss. Uh, those are those are probably two of the, the most high on my list right now. So, Mark, I want to ask you about the process factor, because I know so many people, and to be quite honest, it gets a little bit frustrating to me how quick people are if an election doesn't go the way they want it to, to say, oh, it was fraud, like right. this election was stolen, you know. Um, can you respond to that? Like, what should be our attitude about election process? I mean, I'm thinking healthy skepticism. Yes, it's important to have good processes, but like, how can we stop the, you know, the immediate knee-jerk reaction that, oh, it didn't go the way we wanted. It must have been fraud. Yeah, I mean, I would start from saying that I want to be clear that there is fraud and there always has been fraud. Yeah. And there always will be fraud. I mean, this is the reason that we have poll watchers, right? Mm -hmm. And election judges. Those are built into our system because we acknowledge that otherwise people will cheat. And that's just human nature. People are fallen and sinful and people do cheat. And so I just want to acknowledge that there will never be a perfectly clean election. It just simply doesn't exist. People always find a way to cheat. I see in this election so far, no evidence of fraud that would swing an election. Again, that's not to say there wasn't, because I don't know, you know, I can't prove something that's unfalsifiable. People say there was fraud. Well, 
maybe, but I haven't seen that fraud yet. And so I think it's really dangerous and unhealthy that we immediately go to fraud if we don't get the results that we like. And and the left immediately goes, by the way, to voter suppression, right? Yes. How people are prevented <laughs> from voting. And I think that we as conservatives have a, an obligation, I would argue, and especially as biblical conservatives, to not assert things that aren't facts, that right. aren't literally that aren't supported by facts or at least look like they're supported by facts. And so I would yeah. encourage anybody, and I've had people texting me, oh, I, this it's fraudulent. This is the last election we'll ever have in America. You're a lawyer, I'm a lawyer. And when you're lawyers, you know that people make allegations all the time. And then yep. the question is, can you prove those allegations to be factual? And until you yeah. do, I'm honestly not really interested in hearing about them. That's where I'm at. Same, Mark. And, you know, it. you at least need to have some good faith basis for asserting that you are concerned that the election was the result of fraud. You know, let's not just stir up outrage everywhere we go. That is not a, a Christ-like behavior. So I want to ask you about one other specific race, and then I want to talk more about, you know, outcome ultimately for the country and where we go from here. And the race I want to ask you about is um, the Pennsylvania U.S. Senate race between John Fetterman and Mehmet Oz. Um, this was a big one, got a lot of attention, and it's now projected that John Fetterman won that race. The reason I want to ask about this one is because, not because Dr. Oz is a famous celebrity, <laughs> but because you know, watching the debate, there were there were clear indications that um, something wasn't right with Fetterman, something cognitive was not functioning properly, and it was really alarming and awkward even to watch. So then to hear that the people of Pennsylvania you know have elected him, or at least that's that's what we think has happened so far. It's a little bit concerning to me, Mark, and I just wonder, how do you explain that? How does that, how does that happen? Well, you know, I think part of it is just bad candidate selection on the part of Republicans. Uh, Mehmet Oz got selected primarily because Donald Trump selected him. And mm -hmm. so he was running against uh, David McCormick was really the other front runner. And Trump chose Oz because he was a TV star. And that was really it. And look, if you've been to Pennsylvania, and I've spent a bunch of time in Pennsylvania, I know Rick has as well. Uh, we tend to think of Pennsylvania as, um, you know, we think of the big cities, but Pennsylvania is, it's a very blue collar state. It's a very regular people state. And it's a very all American state. I was there with Rick Santorum not long ago and traveling around to small town Pennsylvania. I mean, it is real America. And so now you take Mehmet Oz and drop him in there. He's considered to be a carpetbagger. He's really from New Jersey. They didn't see him as one of theirs. He made this, he made a couple of incredible gaffes during the campaign. One is he referred to crudite when he was talking about vegetables. <laughs> and I'm laughing at it because when he, I read it instead of hearing it, when I read it, I thought it, the word was crudites. I had no idea what he was talking about, right? <laughs> I'm just a regular guy. If I'm going to put out a vegetable tray, I, I've never heard it called crudite. And I don't think most Pennsylvanians have either. And so he's talking about crudite. It shows how out of 
touches. But I mean, if you guys don't know this, don't feel bad. Crudité is apparently a vegetable platter. Like you would, you know, you get carrots and broccoli and stuff with a little bit of ranch dip yeah. or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Veggies with dip. Yeah. yeah apparently <laughs> if you're fancy, you call that crudité. Right. <laughs> so, you know, he said that and it shows how out of touch he is. And then the, the contradiction is Fetterman in a sweatshirt, you know, and in his car hearts and he looks like a regular guy and he's built a lot of capital on this image of him being a regular guy. Uh, and then, you know, this is an unbelievable thing, too, is in the week before, and a lot of people didn't catch this, in the week before the election, Mehmet Oz said, uh, you should go find 10 people on their way to the Steelers game and get them to vote. Well, the Pittsburgh Steelers had a buy last week. And so it shows, again, like if you live in Pennsylvania, you know whether the Pittsburgh Steelers are playing or not. And yeah, but that, unless you're me, like I wouldn't have known, but, <laughs> but I can't in, say that was a bad idea. <laughs> yeah, and you don't live in Pennsylvania, and you who might know what crudité is wouldn't have said crudité on the campaign trail, right? Yes, so and the, I wouldn't have made a reference to the Steelers because I know I don't know what I'm talking about. Yeah, so there you go. So what you have is, in my opinion, a bad candidate, right? Here's a guy that just wasn't the right guy to be running for that seat, and do I think it's weird and terrible that we elected a guy with brain damage to the U.S. Senate? I would say yes. But look, Maisie Hirono is in the U.S. Senate and she is apparently not brain damaged, but maybe Fetterman is smarter than her. I don't like we've we've got bad people in the U.S. Senate who are not very smart right now. It's not good, but it's not going to be worse than Maisie Hirono. That's for sure. Hmm. OK, interesting. Well, I want to talk just for a minute about the state legislatures. I already mentioned I was watching them um, partly because for convention of states, the state legislatures are essential. They're the ones who have the power um, to trigger an Article 5 convention. We need 34 states to apply for that. We have 19 already. So of course, I'm watching to see what's happening there. But the other thing, Mark, is that the founding fathers always intended that the states are where the bulk of the policy making yep. is done. And they wanted it to be that way because the closer you are to home, the better you're going to be able to govern the people being governed and the more impact and influence th the people have on the policies that are being made. So um, just briefly, you know, we were surprised to see, as we've already mentioned, that the, the Pennsylvania House um, may flip to Democrat control. We, that's undecided as of the time we're recording this. Um, Michigan, you already mentioned, has, has flipped. Minnesota was split between the Republicans and Democrats. It looks like it is now totally um, Democrat controlled. And so all of this, both and at the state level and the national level, of course, affects policy, right? So um, speaking, I guess, first to the national level, what what do you think we're going to see as, the res uh, as far as policy goes as a result of the midterm elections? Well, you know, at the national level, I think what we're going to see is we're going to see the brakes get thrown on the administration's policies. Joe Biden... Yeah is essentially a lame duck at this point. The House of Representatives, maybe by a narrower margin than expected, but it's going to be controlled by Republicans. 
there may be a speaker fight, which I think would be healthy. Kevin McCarthy has not earned the speakership, uh, and so I'm hoping that there's a fight. There are many other people more qualified than Kevin McCarthy to be speaker. So I'm hoping we see a different speaker. But in any event, I expect that what we'll see is a radical slowdown of the policies of the Biden administration at the national level. We may see Republicans take the Senate as well. That would be really healthy. It would prevent the confirmation of radical left-wing judges, uh, radical left-wing department heads. So I'm hoping we get that that Senate seat. You know, Maybe we win the runoff in Georgia. Uh, maybe the the master's race is still outstanding. So it's possible. I think you're going to see just a slowing down of the Biden agenda in Washington, D.C. at the national level. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it, it seems like, Mark, that it's inevitable after every election, there's kind of a letdown, <laughs> you know, and and that letdown after the the votes are in, the votes are counted, we hear the results then it seems like the next step is voter frustration because we send this new batch of people to let's focus on Congress. We send this new batch of people to Congress. We have high hopes. And then it seems like ultimately the result is not much, you know, not maybe we slow things down more and maybe that's a good result. But, you know, overall, just looking at policy writ large, on the federal level, it doesn't seem like very much changes no matter who we send to Congress. And so I know for you and I who are have devoted, you know, this portion of our lives to working toward a convention of states, that's part of what motivates us, right? Because we do not have this faith that sending the right people to Congress is going to fix the biggest problems in the country. Can you talk about that? Yeah, the founders didn't have that faith either. That's why they didn't want so much power to be vested in a central government in Washington, D.C. That's why they created a federalist system of government with most of the powers reserved for the people in the states. Now, the federal government had a limited number, 17 enumerated powers in the Constitution. That was it for the federal government because they didn't trust a centralized government. And so when we focus on Washington, D.C., when that's the main idea, who's the president, who's the Senate, who's the House, we have the wrong focus. Our focus should be really on our own states, who controls the states, and then how can we wrest power away from Washington, D.C. and get it back to the states? My political life goes back to 2009 and the Tea Party movement, and we elected the largest swing class in the history of Congress in 2010 and virtually nothing changed. And so I learned a very good lesson about Washington, D.C., which is don't expect the change to come from Washington, D.C. And we should look at it that way now. The best we're going to get out of this Congress is a slowing down of the destruction of America. Mm, Absolutely. And, you know, at this point, we need structural change in government. And that is why you and I are working toward a convention of states to propose amendments to our constitution that will impose fiscal restraint on Washington, D.C., limit the power and jurisdiction of the federal government and set term limits for federal officials. So I know you hear me say convention of states a lot on this program. If you're not quite sure what it's all about, go to conventionofstates.com. And Mark, we are almost out of time, but 
I want you to just talk to our listeners about next steps for the citizen. You know, we all know we have a civic duty to vote, but our civic duty does not stop after we vote, right? What what do people need to be doing now that the election's over? Yeah, I think they need to be getting involved in whatever it is you want to get involved in. Get involved in your local school board, your local city council, your local county board. Go to the meetings, learn the process, get involved in convention of states. Get, you know, go to conventionofstates.com and get signed up. And I would say, and this is kind of an important one, run for office. You know, I hear a lot of people thinking, saying, I think I maybe I want to run for office. My first question, Rita, is what's your network? I always ask people, do do you have a network? And mostly people stare at me blankly. They don't know what I mean by that. I want to know, do you belong to the Lions Club or Kiwanis or Seroptimus? Are you an elder at your church? Do you volunteer at your church all the time? Or are you on the PTA at your school? And the reason you got to know these things is people who run for office and win have networks. And they go to Toastmasters and they get trained to speak publicly and you know, they learn about campaign finance. They go to leadership instituting it, trained up on how to be a candidate. The time to do that, by the way, is not 2024. It's not even waiting till 2023. It's do it now. Get started yeah. now because it's going to take you a year, year and a half to really learn what you're doing. And by then the elections are going to be on us. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, that's well said, Mark. I, I second everything you just said. And my personal plea to all of our Crossroads listener is, don't just talk about what's happening. Don't just complain about it. Don't just shake your head. Don't just be outraged. Get involved and be part of the solution. It takes all of us. And we all have different gifts and talents and you know backgrounds and abilities. So get involved. Use the gifts that God has given you to make a difference. Mark, that's about it for today. Thanks for being with us again. Always great to be with you. Thank you for listening to the Crossroads Podcast. To learn more about Convention of States, go to conventionofstates.com.